Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25. Hebrews 10 verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Everyone say together. Well, I could get started right there, but I won't. I'll save it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And I, I could go on and keep reading. There does not remain any more sacrifice for sins, but the apostle said what does remain is a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. There's no more sacrifice. But there is judgment. This falls on the heels of his statement that we should not sin willfully, which falls on the heels of the statement that we should not forsake assembling together. And when you take it all in context, kind of gives you a new perspective on church attendance, doesn't it? And that is the context, and that is the way that it's written. And we're going to talk about it today. Today will be part two of this lesson that I'm entitling 31 Reasons Why I Attend Church. And this is part two. I may have failed to mark that when I gave this title to our uh, media department, but, but it is part two. And uh, I think most of you are aware of that. But let's put our Bibles down. Let's... Ask the Lord to speak to us today. I really do need His help. We all need His help today. Let's, let's pray together, everybody. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, Almighty God. I need the touch of the Holy Ghost in this place. I can't do anything without you, nor do I want to try. I ask for the anointing and unction of the Holy Ghost to rest upon this service. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Let's worship him one more time before we are seated. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Please allow me to do a bit of a review for the sake of those who were not in last week's lesson and have not heard it. Uh, and even for those who were, never hurts to hear some things again. It strikes me, it strikes me as significant that the apostle would write to the early church 
and give to them a very grave and stern warning that they would not fall into what he says has become the habit of some. Now we're talking about the early church. We're talking about uh, miracles happening regularly. We're talking about the work of the Spirit when they came together. And yet the apostle indicates that the manner of some was that church attendance was no longer a priority for them. We talked about some of the, the possible reasons. There was indeed severe persecution that they faced. And so for some of them, they may have felt justified that, you know, if I go, I'm risking my life, and I don't think God wants me to risk my life, so uh, I'll protect my life and I'll stay home. Uh, others, others may just not have understood how important church attendance was. Others may have had the idea that so many seem to have today that I can hear from God at home. I don't have to go to church. Church is just one of many options that God provides us. It's a tool that might help, but it's not essential. Well, I'm going to tell you this passage of Scripture forever settles that debate. For not only does he say you ought to go to church, but he says very clearly if you don't, you're committing a willful sin. And you're under threat of judgment. I mean, he makes it strong here. He lays it out very strongly to the early church and therefore to all of us who now have this letter in our possession and believe it to be divinely inspired by the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I said last week and I say again today, Hebrews 10 25 is just as divinely inspired as Acts 2.38. It's just as binding on us spiritually as Acts 2.38. Well, that didn't get as many amens, but it's just as true regardless. Hallelujah. Somehow we've got to get a fresh revelation of just how important coming to church really is. I said last week and I say again, COVID did something to the church of the living God that nothing else it seems like has been able to do in recent history. COVID put within the people a mindset that whether I go to church or I just listen online, I'm still being fed. Everything's okay. I'm here today to dispel that idea once and for all. I want to declare to you there is nothing like being in the house of God. And God wants us to be in attendance at His house. Now, I offered last week this caveat, these caveats perhaps I should say, and I will Go through them since I am reviewing. Uh, I, anytime I say this, folks, you know, if I start teaching this way, there are folks who come to me and say, well, I can't because of this, and I can't because of that, and I can't. And, 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 and I want you to understand that I understand there are legitimate situations. 
I do understand that. I am human. I do understand there are things that come up. I understand there are very legitimate reasons. Legitimate situations that would cause a person to be absent from service. I believe that with all of my heart. I do believe that when your work requires that you be there. And I stress the word require. I know, we, you know, I've taught this church that the only way you could really interpret scriptures is by using other scriptures. You've got to look at other passages to fully understand everything that's being said. And the Bible does tell us that if someone will not provide for their household, they are worse than an infidel. That's Bible. And so if your job requires that you miss, I understand. What I don't understand is volunteering for work when you could be in church. Well, <clears throat> um, sickness, of course. I, I told you when I was growing up, my pastor told us that if you're not in the hospital or the morgue, you come to church. And that was the only two exceptions he allowed for. Um, I'm not quite that way myself. I, I kind of want you to keep some things to yourself. There's some things I don't want you to share. Viruses. COVID. You know, some things I just would rather you keep to yourself and not pass through the church. And so when you're sick, I understand. I understand that you can't be here. I understand when you need to take a vacation from time to time. Be gone. I, I understand that. I don't understand taking a vacation from God. And I've heard people use that terminology. I, I actually heard a man one time say he was... He was he was not a preacher, but he, I guess, was testifying. I don't know what you'd call it. I don't know what kind of testimony this was. But, but he made a statement one time that he said, you know, once in a while I even need a vacation from church. I don't believe that. I don't believe we ever need a vacation from God. We don't ever need a vacation from the things of God. And, and I think we ought to do our best to be in the house of God when we can. Especially on the Lord's Day. Especially, especially on the Lord's Day. You ought to do everything you can to be in church. And I'll tell you, I've been in places where I wasn't thrilled with what was going on at the particular church where I was in attendance. But something about it, I just wanted to be in church, Brother Goff. I wanted to be in church. And so I went. I went because I wanted to be in God's house on the Lord's day. So I do understand. I do understand. There are times you're going to be gone. Times you need to see your family. I understand those things. I really do. I'm not a hard taskmaster. But there are a couple of things that I ask of you when one of those situations become your uh, particular 
and personal situation. I ask that if you cannot be in church somewhere, listen online. And in fact, sometimes I have told folks, based on the choices they had, listening online sometimes is a better option. And I'm not trying to be critical, but when I tell you I've been in some weird church services, I've been in some weird church services. I I would not identify the individual, and I hope they don't mind me stating this, but someone came to me and told me about a church where they got up and announced to everybody next Sunday is Pajama Sunday. I want everybody to wear your pajamas to church. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I love you, but I, some of you, I don't want to see you in your, in fact, I don't want to see any of you in your pajamas. Some, I've got less of a desire than others, I'll just be honest with you. This is not the place for pajamas, though some people do think it's the place to go to sleep. Well, hallelujah. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you, there are times when you would be better off listening to your home church. There are times you'd be better off, and, and as I said, listening in online, at least you're in touch with what's happening, the body to which God connected you. There are times that things are preached, there are times that things happen. And you're absent and you don't know. And, and I remember years ago preaching a message that I felt like at the time, I was pastoring in another place, but I felt like at the time that it was one of those messages that was crucial for the future of the church. And, and there was a, a man in the church that missed the service that night. Now this was before the days of being able to listen online. I, I told our minister's class the other night, I, believe it or not, I was preaching before Al Gore invented the internet. And, and so there wasn't an option of listening online. And, uh, and, and, and so he missed it. And I remember, I remember making a statement in a service that hearkened back to that message. And I, I, I realized by the look on his face, he had no clue what I was talking about. He was clueless. And then it dawned on me, oh yeah, he missed that service. And so he didn't understand. And I'm just telling you, there are times when there are things that are preached or taught that are so important for this particular body. And, and, and the best thing you can do is to hear, if you can't be here, if you can at least hear what's being said and what's being taught. In fact, I would encourage you, even if you are in church somewhere else, if you miss a service, go back and listen to the preaching. Go back and listen to what was said so that you don't miss things that may be important. Last Tuesday night, I feel like, was one of those nights that was absolutely crucial for the future of this church. And, and if you have not heard that, I'm asking you to please, please, please take the time to listen. As a part of this assembly, please take the time to listen because I feel like it's that important. Uh, in fact, our care captains, there, there were a few things, and I've mentioned all of this 
before, but there are a few lessons that I, I feel like that one and then one other that I feel like very, very important to this church. And so I will be asking our care captains just to, to find out who has, who hasn't, not so we can be nosy, not so we can control your life, but I just want to be up to speed. I want to make sure everybody's on the same page right now. I feel like things are crucial for us at this moment. And uh, I feel like God's about to do some great and wonderful things. And I just want to bring everybody onto the same page. So if you haven't listened, please, please take the time to do so. This is important. So a couple things I ask. If you have to miss, if you have to miss, be in church somewhere. Listen online to your home church. And, and then I would ask that before you miss, just ask yourself, would my boss accept this as a valid reason for being gone from work? If he does, no problem. But if your boss wouldn't accept it, I want to ask you, do you really think Jesus accepts it? Uh, Jesus used this same line of questioning. The Lord in the Old Testament used this same line of questioning through the prophet when he challenged the people of Israel. He said, you've been bringing sacrifices that are lame and that, that are blind and, and they've, they've got all these problems. He said, take it to your governor and see if your governor will accept what you're offering. So the Lord used this kind of reasoning. If those that are over, over you in a secular sense won't accept it, why do you think the God of heaven should accept it? And so I think that's a valid question to ask. And then the third and final thing is I do ask that you just maintain some accountability. And some of you are excellent about that. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. That I know if you're gone, you're going to let me know. I know that if you're not in service, you are going to, to tell me that you're going to be gone. And, and I appreciate that. I cannot say it enough. How much I appreciate that. It means a lot to me. It helps me to know that you're not sick, that you're not, or if you are sick, I know. I've had people actually go to the hospital and tell me after they got out. And I, I understand they don't want to bother me. I understand, but it's not a bother. I feel more bothered that I didn't know you needed my prayers. I want to pray for you. I care about you. I want to know when you're hurting. I want to know. And, and so this is not rebuke. This is instruction. Now, we, we, we started into this. Now, I've got to hurry. But we, we started into this. And I, I reminded you of the principle that is established in the Word of God that you need two or three witnesses to establish any doctrine. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And, and I've shown you and taught you that any real doctrine that we uh, preach needs to have at least two biblical witnesses. And if we establish two, that's good. If we can find three, that settles it. If we can find more than three then look, God's really trying to stress something to us. And, and as I said before I'm done, I'm going to give you 31 scriptural references to show you why 
we need to be in God's house. So, let me go over the ones that we covered just real quickly, and then we'll start today's lesson. Number one, Luke 4.16 tells us that it was Jesus' custom to go to the house of God on the Sabbath day. It was his custom, and it ought to be our custom as well. Jesus made it a habit to go to church. And we ought to make it a habit to go to church. Number two, it's commanded in Scripture. We read it in our text, Hebrews 10.25. Number three also comes from Hebrews 10.25, and that is that coming to church helps prepare me for the coming of the Lord. We read it in our text, so much the more as you see the day approaching. We ought to be in church more the closer we get to the end. Well, hallelujah. Reason number four, Matthew 21, verses 12 to 14. Jesus said that his house ought to be a place of prayer. Yes, I want you praying at home, but Jesus wants his house to be a place where we pray. And you can't make his house a house of prayer if you don't come to his house and pray. I know that's profound. It's about as deep as I get, so. You got to make his house a house of prayer. Psalm 133, verse 1, Ephesians 4, verse 3, Ephesians 4, verse 13. Reason number five, coming to church helps to fulfill the scriptural mandate for unity. We can't be united with the body if we never gather with the body. Number six, coming to church builds my faith by hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing. And that word hearing in the original literally means that which is preached. You've got to hear preaching to have faith. And without faith, you can't please God. So you've got to come to church and hear some preaching so your faith can be built. That's number six. Number seven, coming to church brings accountability to the one who's going to present me to God. You read this in Hebrews 13, 17. Your pastor has to give an account to God. And I can't give an account to God if you're not willing to give an account to me. Coming to church helps to build that sense of accountability. All right, and then number eight, and this is as far as we got last week, number eight is it helps to assure my salvation by allowing me to be preached to. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And I've pointed out to you that salvation is really a threefold process. We have been saved, past tense, from the effect of our sins. We are being saved right now, present tense, from our current temptations. And we will be saved, future tense, when we finally get to heaven and there is no more potential of failure or sin. And coming to church, the Bible says that preaching saves us. That salvation in all three folds is affected by preaching, which takes place at the house of God. 
So these eight reasons I gave you last week, let's start with reason number nine. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 38. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 38. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So the very first commandment, the great commandment. Now, I've, I've stressed to you, when you get to Mark's gospel, Mark includes all of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. It was all one sentence in the original Hebrew, and all of it's included in Mark's gospel. Not that Mark and Matthew contradict one another. Matthew was writing to Jewish people, and the Jewish people recognized when Matthew started quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5, that it was part of a full sentence. They recognized that verse 4 was a part of that. Matthew didn't have to write that in his gospel because he knew the Jews knew that. But the part the Jews seemed to overlook, they were very strong on verse 4, but they seemed to neglect verse 5. And it's all part of one commandment. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Verse 5 is what Jesus now quotes here, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. I want to tell you, you're going to have a hard time convincing me you love God with all your heart when you don't want to come to God's house. I think if you love somebody, you want to go to where they live. That's why I said I understand we need to be with family. I've got family members in other states. I, I know what it's all about. I want to see those grandbabies. Brother and Sister Mullins, I can tell you, didn't come to see me. They, they, they crossed that U.S.-Canadian border and came this far south because of grandbabies. And I'm sure they love their daughter, but, you know, there's a point where daughters just, and sons, I mean, they just, they exist. And it's nice to have them, but boy, those grandbabies. Oh, hallelujah. And those of you who aren't grandparents, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But I know, I know, I know. This is not even meddling. This is just preaching. This is just telling the truth. I'm telling you, there's nothing like grandbabies. There's something about it, those grandbabies are born. They are the most brilliant, most beautiful, most, I'm, I'm, whatever superlative you want, they fit the grandbabies. That's just the way it works. And, and, and the children come up and say, why didn't you treat us that way? Well, you weren't like them. <laughs> Lord, I'm about to get sidetracked now. <laughs> well, anyhow, where was I? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, Jesus said, you got to love God with all your heart, all your mind, your soul, your strength. Please tell me how you accomplish that if you're not willing to come to his house. That's how I got off on grandbabies because I like going to their house. I like them coming to my house. I tell you, my, my, it's great to see them on FaceTime, but 
That little Ellie looks into that screen and says, I want to come to your house. I just melt. I say, tell your mama to buy you a plane ticket and get here. Uh, I'm telling you, when you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, nobody's got to beg you to go to his house. Nobody's got to preach you under conviction to get you in his house. If you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you want to go to his house. So coming to church is a visible response to the greatest commandment. Get that? It's the greatest of all the commandments. Over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, and this was number one on the list. Most important of all. And coming to church is our visible response to that commandment. And while we're on that train of thought, reason number 10 is Matthew 22, verse 39. And the second is the like second unto it. The second greatest commandment is like it. Thou shalt love, Thou thy, shalt neighbor love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh boy, here's where I can now start really meddling. Because when you say, I can just get what I need from God at home, you are not considering your neighbor. You are not caring for your brothers and sisters. You, you are not concerned about anybody but yourself. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself and stay at home and have church. I don't just come to church for me. I come to church for you too. I want to know if you're struggling, if you're down, if you're discouraged. I want to lift you up. And if I'm down and I'm discouraged, you know who's going to lift me up? You are. I'm not going to find that at home. Sitting at home, I'm going to get more discouraged. I'm going to sink further down. I'm going to feel worse about things. But if I can get to the house of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Asaph said, my steps had well nigh slipped. Until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. Something about coming to God's house and I got my thinking straightened out. I got my head screwed on straight. When I walked into God's house, somebody here put their arm around me and said, Brother, you can make it. Somebody here shed some tears for me. Somebody here cared about me and helped me to make it. And when I'm up, I need to come and do that for somebody else. We got to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when you just stay at home and all you do is listen online, you're not caring for your neighbor. I'm sorry. You're only caring for yourself. Now, again, I, I gave caveats. I understand exceptions, I understand sicknesses. So if you're listening online, don't think I threw everything in the review, out the window in what I'm saying. But I'm talking to folks that seem like electronic church has become the only church that they really know. And that's a sad state of affairs. 
But I'm going to tell you, electronic church is never going to let you care for your brothers and sisters or let them care for you. Like coming to the house of God here. All right, so that's number 10. We need to be concerned with the needs of others. In fact, we need to be as concerned with the needs of others as we are our own needs. You know, um, if you're caught up on your Bible reading, hint, 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 hint. I'm just pastoring today. That's what I'm telling you. Um, caught up on your Bible reading, you should be into the book of Psalms. should have just come through Job and... You know, Job 42 and 10 is a very interesting thing. After everything Job went through, and these guys accused him of everything imaginable, and God even ended up rebuking Job on a couple of fronts, a few things that Job kind of had grown a little cynical and bitter about before it was all over with. God had to rebuke him. But the interesting thing, Job came through all this, and these guys treated him terribly. But Job 42.10 makes this very interesting statement that the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much. When? When he prayed for his friends. When Job quit caring about, and listen, Job had a lot to worry about for himself. You hear me? He lost all of his possessions. That'd be enough for many of us to backslide. What's God doing to me? Why won't God help me? Why am I going through all this? But he not only lost all his possessions, he lost all of his children in one moment. All of them. At the same time. And then, shortly thereafter, loses his own health. Covered with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. You think he didn't have a lot to be worried about? You think he didn't have a lot to pray about? But God turned his captivity not when he asked God to heal him. Not when he asked God to touch him. God turned his captivity when Job got his eyes off of Job and prayed for these guys that had been accusing him of things he wasn't even guilty of. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? So-and-so did me wrong. Do you know what so-and-so said about me? Do you know what this person did to me? Do you know what? Look, we've got record of what they did to Job. And yet God did not heal Job until Job prayed for those scoundrels. Friends, that's always to me been, been one of the interesting, I know the Bible's not wrong about anything, but I, I honestly, I have to scratch my head when I read Job's friends came. And for seven days, they just stared at him and didn't say a word. And I'm thinking, these are friends. And then when they did say something, Job probably wished they'd have just kept their mouth shut and kept staring. <laughs> and these are friends? But in the beginning, they were called friends. And in the end, they were called friends. Friends are human. They're not perfect, and we need to remember that. We don't need to just throw away friendships just because of some little disagreement that comes up. And this wasn't little. 
But anyhow, I'm just saying God honored the fact that Job cared about somebody besides Job. And God healed Job and turned things around when Job started caring for others. Maybe some of you that are not in church because you've got problems in your life, maybe if you'd show God that you care about everybody else. Oh, help me, Jesus. Maybe if you'd show God that the needs of your brothers and sisters are just as important as your own needs. Maybe God would turn around and turn your captivity. Maybe God would solve your problem if you'd care about the others. Oh, I'm preaching today. So, that's number 10. We're a third of the way through. Number 11. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens. Same, I'm, you think if, if you're wiping sweat and said, okay, he's done with that, we're going to move on. Wrong. <laughs> Galatians 6 and 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. How can you bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters if you don't even know what they are? Yeah, if you don't even know who they are. You don't spend time with them. You don't fellowship with them. You're never worshiping with them. You're never praying with them. How can you bear their burdens? Oh, it's quiet. I didn't really expect an aisle running service today. But a few amens would help. Number 12, number 12, it is an open display of Paul's comparison between the church and a body. Let's read. This is a lengthy portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 24. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. They're so one body. They are. Listen to me. When you're off there by yourself, how is that one body with the other members? You're not a body in and of yourself with regards to the body of Christ. You're a member of that body. Read. So also is Christ. Uh -huh. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. We are baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles. Whether we be bond or free, and have made all to drink into one spirit. Uh, uh, this, this is, Lord, I could spend so much time here. It's interesting that Paul is saying that within this body, there's Jews, there's Gentiles, there are slaves and those who are not slaves, and you can include in that second group those who are masters that own slaves. And, and he's saying all of us have been brought together by the same spirit and put into one body. Now, you don't think there was room for drama? When the slave walked in and saw the slave owner there, when the Jew walked in and saw the Gentile there, 
You don't think there was room for drama? You better believe there was. Now, would it have been less drama had God just created one church of the Jews, one church for the Gentiles, one church for the bond, one church for the free? A lot less drama. Everybody sees eye to eye. No disagreements. Hello? But he didn't do that, did he? In fact, I've pointed this out before, but even when Jesus walked this earth and chose 12 disciples, 12 that are going to go with him everywhere, it's interesting who all he picked. Because he's got Matthew, the tax collector, the Jew who was working for the Roman government. Seen by many Jews as a traitor to his people. Because Rome had enslaved the Jewish people, if you please. Rome was ruling over the Jews. And now one of them is deriving his livelihood from the very people who were oppressing them. And Jesus said, I want you to be part of my inner circle. And then while he's picking people, he looks around and he finds a man by the name of Simon. The Bible calls him Simon Zelotes. Zelotes means he was the zealot. Those of you who don't know Jewish history, a zealot were those Jews who took up arms against the Roman government. They felt that God wanted them fighting the Roman government. And so you got these two men in the twelve, one working for Rome and one fighting against Rome. And Jesus said, you two guys get, get along, all right? You don't think there was some drama? You don't think there was tempers flaring from time to time? But God did that, and he did it intentionally. Somebody said, I'm going I'm I'm to change churches. Too much drama. Well, let me tell you, wherever you go, there's going to be drama there too. And in fact, if you're going to be saved, God's going to see to it that you experience some drama. If you're going to be saved, God is going to make sure there is a thorn in your flesh. He's going to put somebody there that you just can't get along with. And he's going to say, learn to get along. Yay, Lord. I believe that's why Paul said what he did when, when he said, As much as lieth within you, if it be possible, dwell peaceably with all men. Sometimes it takes all that lies within us for the Mullins. Sometimes we got to give it everything we've got just to try to put a smile on our face with some people. Because they try our patience. They get under our skin. They step on the last nerve. But Jesus put them there to work on them and to work on you. And you trying to avoid conflict and trying to avoid drama 
is your way of saying, God, you don't know how best to make me into what you want me. I'll take care of this. Everybody exhale. <laughs> Got a little deep right there. I'm talking about bearing one another's burdens. I'm talking about learning to care for the body. We're part of a body. Where do we leave off? That was verse 13. Let's go on to verse 14. For the body is not one member. For the body is not one member. Explain this to me. Those who feel comfortable just having an electronic online church existence, explain this verse to me. The body is not one member. But many. But it's many. Three. If the foot shall say, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, hand. I am not of the body. I don't get to lead the singing. I don't get to teach the Sunday school. I'm not the hand. So I'm not really a part of this body. Is it therefore not Is of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, if the ear shall say, because I am not well, the eye. Some people, that's their job. That's, there's some folks, that's their job. They're the ear. They listen to everything that's being said by everybody. <clears throat> I don't know if I want to make it too plain. If I make it too plain, I'd say, and then there's some who are the tongue. But I don't know if I want to make it quite that plain, praise God. Hallelujah. So I'll just move on without saying that, all right? Let's move on. What's the next verse say? If the whole body were an eye. If the whole body were an eye. Where they're hearing. Where were they hearing? If the whole were hearing. If the whole were hearing. Where were they smelling? All right, I'm going to leave that one alone. Go ahead, read. But now. Now have God set the members, every one of them in the body. Jesus, help us today. <laughs> now hath, now hath God right. set the members, every one of them in the body. As it hath pleased As it him. hath pleased, not you, not me, as it pleased him. God puts the body together the way he wants it to come together. Read. And if they were all one member. If it was all just one member. Where were the body? Where's the body? But now are they many members. But there are many members. Yet but one body. But there's only one body. And the eye cannot say the unto the hand. I cannot say to the hand. I have no need I of thee. No need of thee. Nor again the, nor head, again to the, the feet. head to the feet. I have no I need have of you. No need of you. Nay, much more those members of the those body. Those members of the body which seem to be which more seem feeble. To be more feeble. Are necessary. Are necessary. Let's think about it for a moment. It doesn't take a lot of sickness to hit your heart. That's a feeble member. But it's necessary. I know firsthand just a little bit going wrong with your liver has a huge impact on everything else that's going on in the body. Now, the liver and the heart are not parts that are seen, and they are more feeble, they are more susceptible, but they are more necessary. Are you hearing me? 
This is what Paul said. Read. And those members of the body, those members of the which body, we think to be less honorable, we think to be less honorable. Upon these, upon we, bestow these we bestow more abundant, more abundant honor. honor. And our uncomely and parts, those parts that are the most ugly, have more abundant comeliness. They're the ones that we really start working on. For our comely parts have no need, uh -huh. but God hath tempered the body together. But God is the one who tempered the body together. Having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. I've said this before. I don't have time to get into it today. But let me tell you, when you start reading Paul uh, writing about the body, he's really not talking about the body worldwide. Because none of this would make sense if it's the body worldwide. What good is a hand in Kansas and a foot in Canada? What good would that be for the body? We can't function together. He's not talking about the body of Christ worldwide. He's talking about an individual assembly. That's the topic here. And God builds the individual assembly the way he sees fit. Now, I know and recognize we've got folks here that didn't pray through in this church. I know that. And let me tell you that I believe with all my heart that there are times that the master physician does a transplant. But we got to make sure it's the master physician doing that transplant. Because there's a lot of people out there that are just stealing body parts. And they're building Frankenstein's monster. Sewing a piece from here and a piece from there. But if the master surgeon decides that he needs to move you from one body to another, he knows how to do it. And he knows how to make you fit right there. And he knows, he knows you've got a job. He knows you've got a function right there. He's not going to pick up three lungs and put all three lungs in the same body. A body only needs two lungs. That's why I say the master Physicians got to do this. The master physician's got to do this. He's got to put it together. And he knows how to do it. And thank God that he does. All right? But, but we, when we come to God's house, we are openly displaying this comparison. We're saying to the world, I recognize that I'm not, I'm not a body in and of myself. I'm a member of a body. And the rest of the body doesn't function as well without my presence at that body. I'm telling you, even a prosthetic device, if it's left at home, it's not doing any good. may not have been a natural part of the body, but it becomes a part of the body. And you leave it at home and it's not doing you any good. Hallelujah. So if you're part of the body, you need to show everyone you understand you're part of the body. And you need to fulfill the function for which God made you a part of the body. All right, number 13. Oh, I still got. Number 13, it helps fulfill the command to have equal care 
for every member of the body. Now, I want you to think about it. I'll explain it. Let's keep reading. We're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's read verses 25 and 26. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all members, all the members rejoice with it. All right, so, so here's what I'm saying. Verses 25 and 26. The Bible said that all the members ought to have the same care. But you know, you can't get the same care sitting at home that you're going to get right here. How can we care for you the way we care for others if we don't even know what's going on in your life? Now, I've, I, I've, I said it last week. I've taught along these lines before, but this may be the first time that I've not only taught it to a live audience, but taught it to a bunch of people listening online. I may have taught it to people listening online in the past, but probably not as many as I am today. It's, it's important that I let you know. Again, I do appreciate the fact that you're listening, and I trust that you're listening only because you didn't have another option. But I want to be able to care for you the way I care for every other member. But if I never see you and I never hear from you, then I'm not allowed to provide you with the same level of care. It's kind of like two people having the same doctor. One goes in regularly for checkups, the other doesn't. One could complain, the doctor's not doing me any good. Well, you're right, he's not. Because you're not doing what he tells you to do. You're not showing up for the checkups. You're not getting the physicals you need to get. You're not having the blood work done that needs to be done. How do you expect the doctor to fix anything if you won't go see him? May both be, the, both be patients of the same doctor, but they're not both getting the same level of care. And the Bible says that every member of the body ought to have the same level of care. But I can't do that when part of the body doesn't show up. It's important that you come to church. Number 14, number 14. It allows me to sharpen someone's countenance and them to sharpen mine. This comes from Proverbs 27 verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. I, I'm telling you that the scripture says, the scripture says that we have a positive impact on one another. We help to sharpen each other's countenance. That we allow each other to become more of what we need to be. There is something that takes place when you are part of the community of believers that cannot take place any other way. And without having that regular interaction with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you will become spiritually dull. And a dull knife doesn't do much good. Somehow, some way, 
you need to come in and be sharpened. And that's not, I've talked about preaching, so I'm not talking about preaching. This is talking about a man and his friend. Or so that we can be politically correct, a woman and her friend. But I'm not going to get any more politically correct than that. Because that's all there are. No matter what the rest of the world says. Hey, look, I'm going to throw this in there free of charge. doesn't cost you anything. We, we are living in such a mixed up, ridiculous, crazy world. I got, a, I got a notification yesterday on my phone of a news headline. And this is not coming from one of these satire sites. This, this was one of the major news sources in America. Headline said this. California court determines that a bee is a fish. That's what it said. A bee is a fish. That the California endangered species laws protect fish. And because there are bees in certain places that they don't want people doing anything with them, now a bee is a fish, so it's protected under law. And people say, that is stupid. Yeah, but it's not any more stupid than saying a man is a woman. Or a woman is a man. Same stupidity. Well, praise God. And it's just going to get worse. You hear me? It's just going to get worse. It's not going to get any better. We're headed down a slippery slope. If you are whatever you identify as, I dare you to go talk to your banker tomorrow and tell him you identify as a billionaire and you want to withdraw your funds. Let's see how far that identifying goes. It's amazing where they draw the line sometimes, isn't it? Usually, usually at the dollar sign, that's usually where the lines are drawn. Follow the money. All right, let me get back to my notes. Let me get back to my notes. i, I got to quit fooling around here. Number 15. Hey, we're almost halfway done. 15. It gives me the privilege. Coming to church gives me the privilege of having a watchman who can issue God's warnings for my life. Ezekiel 33, verses 1 through 9. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man up of their coast, and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the word, the sound of the trumpet, and taketh not the warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Now, now, now I want you to pay attention to what God is saying here. He said, we're going to set a watchman up, and he's going to issue a warning. If he issues the warning and people don't listen, the people who won't listen 
their blood is going to be upon their own head. Read. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not he warning. He heard the warning, but he didn't listen to it. His blood shall be upon him. But now, by the way, just throw this in free of charge too. I'm issuing you a spiritual warning in this series of studies that you really need to be in the house of God. Now, if you don't heed this warning, it's going to be on you. But I am issuing the warning today. All right, read. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if you'll listen and take warning, you'll deliver your soul. But if the watchman see the sword coming. if the watchman sees some trouble coming. And blow not the trumpet. And he doesn't blow the trumpet. And the people be not warned. The people are not warned. If the sword come and take any person from among them. Uh He is taken away in his iniquity. Right. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hands. I'm going to require his blood at the watchman's hands if he won't give the warning. So shall, O son of man, I have set uh, set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word so of, at my mouth. You're going to hear the word at my mouth. And warn them from me. And you're going to warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, uh-huh. O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. Uh-huh. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine I'm hand. I'm going to require his blood at your hand. Ne- nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Now I'm going to tell you something, saints of God. We need a watchman that can declare unto us a warning if necessary. Amen. You're not going to get that. Oh, boy. You're not going to get that from Joel Osteen. You're not going to get it from T.D. Jakes. You're not going to get it from a TV preacher or just some service that you randomly clicked on on the Internet. They're not going to give you a warning for your soul. You need a watchman. Who knows you? Who can hear from God for you? Well, I hear from God. I understand you can hear from God. But it's very clear in the scripture here. There are some warnings God doesn't give people directly. Instead, he gives it to the watchman. And you got to get that warning. You know, I had a friend some years ago. Now, thank God he's back in church today. Living for God, I'm thankful. He was out of church for 30 plus years. But, but as a teenager, as a teenager, and he and I were very, very close. Um, he was only a few months older than, than I, uh, and, and we were just very close, very, very good friends. But he told me one time, he, he, he quit coming to church. He, he told me, he said, look, this is the way I feel. He said, I've been in so many services where there was some prophecy that went forth or some warning that went forth somebody was about to face judgment and he said I figure it this way if I don't go to church they can't give me that warning and therefore I'll be all right till I'm ready to live for God I said it doesn't work that way whether you show up or not the warnings going forth and I told our M&M class the other night of a situation where and I've, I've told this church in time past There was a situation, my first pastorate, 
uh, it, was a, it was a midweek service, and I'd been in prayer, and I felt like God gave me a message of judgment or a backslide. And I tried and tried to get something else, and I could not get any other direction except judgment for a backslider. And I stepped into service that night, and I looked, and not a backslider in the house. And I kept trying to feel after God the whole service long, and I never could feel anything except that message. And finally, I got up and preached what I felt, and I saw all the people looking around. It was a small congregation, 20-something people, so it's not, not easy to figure out. Everybody there were faithful saints. There's not a backslider here. Who's he preaching to? But I felt like I had to do it. It wasn't 36 hours that passed that somebody called me and told me about a backslider out of that church traveling with two of his friends. They wrecked their truck. The other two friends got out unscathed. He was killed instantly. It forever impacted me, Brother Hilton. God had given me a warning. That man didn't show up. He didn't hear the warning. But I'll stand on judgment day with my hands clean, knowing I issued the warning. I believe with all my heart God tried to get that man to come to church that night. I believe God tried to draw him to church that night so he could hear the warning. But he refused to listen. I'm going to tell you, if God's got something to say to me, I want to be there and hear it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you're not going to get that from some generic church service. You need a watchman that's looking out for your soul. That's why I come to church. That's why you need to come to church. All right, all right. That's number 15. Here's number 16. Number 16. Oh, boy. Maybe I should dismiss and send you home while we're still happy. Number 16, let's read the verse first, and then I'll tell you what the, what the reason is. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Uh, would you please read that first word again? Bring. Read it again. Bring. Read it again. Bring. Interesting, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how smart God is? Isn't it amazing how God can make a statement and thousands of years later it seems to be even more relevant than it was when he said it? Bring your tithe. Into the storehouse. Um, all of you faithful electronic church members, how do you obey the scripture? If you don't ever bring it. Now, I'm not saying you can't give online. I'm not saying, but I'm just, I'm just giving you what the scripture says here. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. And it said you ought to bring it. You can't bring it if all you ever do is send it. So even if you're paying tithe, 
even if you're paying tithes. At some point, you need to bring the tithe. You got to come with it to bring it. Okay, I knew that would go over really big. You know, they, they told me years ago, the two things that will really upset people get on their kids or on their money. And so here we go, proving that statement to be true. Number 17, we're not through with that money thing yet either. And, and you know I don't spend a lot of time talking about money, even though Jesus did. This is a fact. You can study it out. Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven and hell put together. That's a fact. Well, that money-hungry preacher, that church, all they want is money. Well, I guess you could have said the same thing about Jesus, but we know that was not the case with him. He addressed it. He dealt with it because, look, it's a big part of our lives. Like it or not, it is what it is. We can't keep the lights on without it. We wouldn't stay cool in these hot Kansas summers without it. We wouldn't stay warm in those cold Kansas winters without it. I don't spend a lot of time talking about it. Not nearly as much of my time is spent talking about it as Jesus spent talking about it. But I am talking about it today. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, reason number 17. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. That there be no gathering when I come. Now, this particular passage, if you look at it in context, Paul was really talking about an offering that was brought. So we've dealt with bringing your tithes, but now the apostle says to the church at Corinth that the first day of the week, you ought to, you ought to bring an offering with you. And that offering ought to be based on how God has prospered you that week. And, and so I don't teach that you have to give a certain percentage as an offering. Now tithing, I had a man tell me one time, said, I learned that tithe doesn't have to be 10%. So I don't know where you learned that, but you need to unlearn it. Because the word tithe is an old English word for tenth. It's what it means. So you can't tithe if it's not one-tenth. But beyond the tithe, there is the offering. And the apostle said on the first day of the week, you ought to be given an offering that's based on how God's prospered you. Now, if God didn't prosper you that week, you don't have to give him anything. But if God prospered you that week, then you ought to give him an offering based on it. And you're going to do that when you come to church on the first day of the week that every one of you lay by him in store. Everybody ought to do it when you come to church. That's reason number 17. Reason number 18, I'm trying to hurry here. Reason number 18, I may actually finish this. Reason number 18 Galatians 6, verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, I will tell you, I could have made this number 18 and 19. I could have, 
really, there's some of these I could have expanded out into more than one reason. But in this case, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it's number 18, but there's really two things here that are spoken of. And, and so my reason, my 18th reason, is that coming to church allows me to fulfill both of the necessary criteria for Galatians 6 and 6. What are those criteria? Let him that is taught in the Word. There's number one. Coming to church allows me to be taught. So that's number one. And then number two, let him that is taught communicate to him that teacheth. Now this word communicate does not mean to speak with or to have a com communication or to, to have a conversation with. No. It doesn't mean to have a conversation with. This word in the original, you can look it up. In the original, it means to contribute to or to share in the financial responsibility of. Let him that's taught, can I say it this way, pay his teacher. That's, that's just, I'm trying to get off of money. I'm, I'm so uncomfortable. My pastor had to get on to me and say, look, you need to learn. Let people be blessed of God. Because he knows I am so reticent about dealing with money. It's such a rare thing for me to deal with it. But we're here. And so I'm doing it. Um, but you've got an obligation. If you're taught in the word, you've got an obligation. To meet the financial needs of the one who teaches you. And so, coming to church allows me to do that. Number 19, it allows me to walk circumspectly and wisely by redeeming the time. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. See then that ye walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. As wise. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. I'm telling you, these are evil days. And you want to know the best way you can spend your time? Spend it in the house of God. In fact, there's something about just getting ready to go to church. There's something about just getting your mind and your heart prepared as long, along with your body. That I'm going to the house of the Lord today. There, let's be honest. If your spirit's right, your attitude's right, there's something that just kind of perks up. David said it. said, I'm, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I said this last week, not just let's go to a service. But let's go to God's house. I was glad I was getting to go to God's house. I was glad I had the opportunity to be in God's house. There's no better way to spend your time than to spend it in the house of God, especially in these evil days. Number 19 uh, is to, it allows me to walk circumspectly and wisely by redeeming the time. Number 20, it helps to bring perfection and edification through the input of the God-given ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and now teachers. He gave us the five-fold ministry. Why? 
For the perfecting of the saints. For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Let me ask you, if all you do is you've got your favorite preacher you go listen to on the internet, that's all. How are you allowing a five-fold ministry to serve you? Tonight we're going to hear from an evangelist. Today you're hearing from a pastor. We bring men in here that have shown that the hand of God is using them as prophets. I'm talking to you today that when you come to church, you can be impacted by all five folds of the ministry. You can't do that setting at home. And you can't be perfected without the influence of all five folds of the ministry. That's what it takes to perfect. Number 21, it provides an example which, when emulated, will bring peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Those things which ye have both now, learned. I want you to pay attention to this. Philippians 4, 9, pay attention to this. Those things which ye have both learned. Learned. Everyone say learned. Everyone say Learned. learned. And, and received. Everyone say received. And, and heard. Everyone say heard. heard. And, and seen in seen me. Seen in me. What? Do. Do. And the God, and of, the peace God of peace shall be with you. Oh, I'm just so troubled. I have so many problems. Let me tell you how the God of peace has promised to come. He's committed himself. He'll be with you. You know how? If you'll take the things which you have learned, received, heard. Well, you can do all that on the internet, yes. But seen. You can't see the example of your pastor. You can't see the example of your brothers and sisters just sitting at home listening on the internet. This is something you got to see and hear. Well, praise God. That's how God's peace is with you. Number 22. Provides me with an opportunity to sit in heavenly places together with God's people. Ephesians 2 verse 6. And hath raised us up God together. Has raised, God has raised us. I'm going to say us. us. That's plural. That's collective. God's raised us up together. And made, and us, made us sit together. Sit, to, sit together. In, heavenly, in places, heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Now listen, even if you take the word us out, it is in italics. If you want to make a big deal out of that, take it out. That's fine. But he still raised up together. And that's why the translators put the word us there, because the word together can't be done by yourself. Me, myself, and I does not count as together. The only way you can be raised up together, the only way you can sit together in heavenly places is if you'll come here. You might get into a little bit of a heavenly place sitting at home listening, but you're not doing it together with the body of Christ. You need to come and let God put you in heavenly places together with the brothers and sisters that God has given you. Number 23. It allows me to prove my work. That is to show it to others. Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. 
But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You know, this word prove literally means to show it to others. So you're going to just stay home. You're going to have church at home. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to pray. You're going to get everything you need. You say, just stay in the home. Well, let me ask you, how does that prove your work? How does that prove your work? How does that show your work to others? Well, I don't care what people think. Well, you better. Because the Bible gives you a command to prove. Prove that you're living for God. Prove that you're a Christian. Prove that you love God. Show it to others. You do that by coming to church. Let us see this love you say you have. Number 24, it keeps my good from being evil spoken of. Romans 14, 16. Let not them, your good, be evil spoken of. And so you say, well, I'm doing good by reading my Bible. I'm doing good by having my own prayer meetings. I'm doing good because I listen online once in a while. All right, but don't let your good be evil spoken of. When you don't ever show up for church, do you think people really classify you as a Christian? Do you think they really consider you to be faithful to God if you can't even be in God's house? Well, I am faithful. Well, I'm telling you, whether you are or not, you're not letting or you are allowing your good to be evil spoken of. And the Bible says don't do that. Number 25. Number 25. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards. Required. Everyone say required. Required. Everyone say required. It's required in stewards that a man that be, a found, man be found, faithful. found faithful. Don't tell me you're faithful when you won't come to church. Don't tell me you're faithful when I don't know when you're missing or when you're not missing. Don't tell me you're faithful. Look, we, we, we went through this, and I may have said this last week. I don't remember now. But I'm going to tell you, it's amazing to me. The reason why we were able to discover uh, that our brother was deceased just a couple of months ago was because of his faithfulness to the house of God. I knew, I knew that if Brother Weems was not in church, something was wrong. I knew if he wasn't at prayer meetings, something was wrong. If I didn't hear from him, I knew something was bad up. There was something going on. I'm going to tell you, there are others that miss that I just wonder, where are they? But I wouldn't have sent somebody to their house to check on them because I don't know if they're coming or not coming. But with him, he was faithful. He was faithful. He was so faithful. I didn't even have to wait till church service. I knew by prayer meeting time, if he wasn't here for prayer, something was wrong. What a testimony. You ought to be that faithful. You ought to be that dependable. And if you're not here, the pastor knows why you're not here. We know what's happened. We know what's going on. Praise God. Develop that kind of faithfulness. It's required that you be faithful. Number 26. I got to hurry. My time is slipping away. Number 26. And this is an interesting one to talk about today of all days. Some of you may not realize today is Pentecost Sunday. And so here we are. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was, fully, was come, fully come, 
And they were all? They were all? With one accord. With one accord. In one place. In one place. Here again is another verse I could have broken into two things. I, I'm, I'm trying to combine some of this. I knew it was getting lengthy. And, and so there are two things here that we find. First of all, they were in one accord. That is, they were unanimous. They weren't scattered. They weren't all thinking, well, I'll just do this on my own. They were counting on one another. They were depending on one another. They were praying with one another. And secondly, did you notice what it said? Did you notice what the last three words of this verse were? In one place. Not at your home and my home and their home and someone else's home, but they were all in one place. You want to know that's when it was that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know when that happened? It's when they came together in unity in one place. I'm calling on you today. Get to the house of God. Quit sitting at home. Quit trying to do it on your own get to the house of God we're waiting on the wind of God to blow you need to be here you need to be a part of this I'm preaching to you today if you're listening online get up out of your bed and get to the house of God get out of your recliner and get to the house of God This world needs another Pentecost. This world needs another Pentecost. But the church of the living God is too scattered. We're everywhere. We're doing things on our own. We don't feel that commitment. We don't feel that desire. Oh, God, help us. And God, forgive us. And God, change us. And bring us together in one place. Peter had been at his house, and James was his house, and Matthew was at his house. Oh, they could have all prayed, but they wouldn't have seen what they saw here. And I can promise you there would not have been 3,000 added to the church. Because one man couldn't have baptized all 3,000. They had to come together. And I'm saying to you today, if we're going to see Pentecost happen again, we've got to understand the importance of coming together in one place. Not two or three different places. Not two or three different churches. One place. We need to have one place we're committed to. One place. Well, hallelujah. I got four minutes. And I got five points. I can do it. <laughs> number 27. Uh, number 26 was it allows me to help bring a move of God to my community by fulfilling the two aspects of the day of Pentecost. Number 27, it allows me to be equally yoked with believers. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, yes. and they shall be my people. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting to me. A real sports fan, a real sports fan will do everything they can to be at the game. Right. Now, they have options. They'll watch it online or watch it on television or go to a restaurant and watch it. But they'll tell you there's nothing like being there. Right. And they'll pay big money right. to be present right. while the game is taking place. They'd much rather be there when it happens than sitting at home watching. But when it comes to church, now why is it so much more exciting to be there while the game's going on? Why is it more exciting? Is what? Well, yeah, you see the results, but there's something else. Why is it more exciting? Because you're with other fans. It's the crowd. It's the excitement of the crowd. You're not the only one that's there that really loves what's going on. And everybody around you is shouting just like you're shouting. They're yelling just like you're yelling. It's one thing to get excited in your living room. But being there with thousands of others. And you talk about fellowship. Sports fans are having fellowship. It's fellowship. Now, what Paul said was that we don't need to be having fellowship with unbelievers. We need to be having fellowship with believers. We ought to be just as excited. In fact, let me rephrase that. We need to be more excited about being live and present in the church service than sports fans are about being live and present at a game. You want to talk about Super Bowl Sunday? This is it. Right. Sure is. It's the day of Pentecost. This is the Super Bowl. Right. Come on now. This is a big day. Right. Everybody ought to want to be in church today. Right. Gas prices are high. I have not seen that affect the sports fans. It affects people going to church, but it doesn't affect people going to the ball game. Is it possible that people worship those players more than they worship God? Yea, it's not only possible, it's a fact.
There are certain sports figures that if they walked into this building, some would be in, would be awing and ooing and applauding. And yet Jesus has walked in here how many times today? And some of us have remained unmoved by his presence. Tell me who we worship more. Number 28, oh, I went past time. And I said I was going to do it, and I didn't do it. I apologize. Not enough to quit when I only got a few more left, but I apologize. And I, please notice I did not say I'm sorry. I said I apologize. Yeah, we're in overtime. And that's what people really like when they go to a game, right? It's overtime. Well, hallelujah. So we're in overtime. So I've got, I got just a few more things to do here. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't know how many are going to think that it's a, uh, uh, I've been using, well, I don't know how many is going to think it's a home run and how many is going to think it's a foul ball. But, but anyhow, uh, number 27 it allows me to be equally yoked with believers. Number 28, 1 Corinthians 3.16, listen to this. Know ye not know that ye, not? ye are the temple you are of God. The temple of God. And that the Spirit, the of, Spirit God of God dwelleth in you. And, and, and now, listen, you are the temple of God. Now, what we read in, in chapter 6 said that if any man defiles the temple of God, him will God destroy. Now, in chapter 3, we read that your body is the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, how do you defile God's temple? I don't know if you realize this. But, but to the Jews, the temple became defiled not just because somebody put something bad inside it. But if those who ministered at the temple failed to clean it. If they neglected their duties, the temple would be considered defiled just by neglected obligations. Not because something adverse was put there but because something good was withheld from it. And Paul said, your body's the temple of God, and Paul said, don't defile that temple. Now, we often think that that means smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol, and it does apply. That's adding adverse things. But withholding the things that are good can bring about as much defilement. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing better than coming to church. And when you withhold church attendance, this is a necessary part of living for God. And you withhold your church attendance, you're defiling the temple of God. Number 29. 29. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. price. Therefore glorify Glorify God in your body. Whoa, 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 whoa. Glorify God how? In your body. How? In your body. How? In your body. Glorify God in your body. And in your spirit. And in your spirit. Which are God's. I'll grant you, you may be able to glorify God in your spirit when you're sitting at home with your bunny slippers and your PJs. You may be able to glorify God in your spirit, but you're not glorifying God in your body. You want to glorify God in your body? Bring your body to the house of God. Bring your body to the house of God. That's how you're going to glorify God in your body. God gets a lot more glory out of your body being right here than it does you sitting at home trying to get what you think you need by yourself. All right, all right, all right, all right. So 
So, number 29, it allows me the opportunity to glorify God with my body and my spirit. And then number 30, number 30, Psalm 150, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Musicians, come. Yeah, Psalm 150, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, Praise Lord. God in Praise His sanctuary. God. Praise God where? In His sanctuary. Praise God where? In His sanctuary. Praise God where? In His sanctuary. Not in your living room. I know there are times that has to happen. I've praised God in my living room. I've praised God when I was driving down the road. I've praised God in a lot of places, but there is a specific command that we need to praise Him in His sanctuary. Not your sanctuary, His sanctuary. You got to come here and praise Him in His sanctuary. Your home might be your sanctuary, but He wants you to come to His sanctuary and offer Him praise. And then number 31 is really what we started out talking about, but I'm going to say it anyhow just to drive the point home and hopefully put this whole subject to rest. Number 31, let's go back to our text, Hebrews 10, 25 and 26. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice of sins. Now, I've already pointed out to you from Hebrews 10, 25, that there's a command not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I gave you that as one of the reasons. I pointed out to you from Hebrews 10, 25, that coming to church helps to prepare me for the return of the Lord. Now, the third thing is something I mentioned uh, somewhat in passing in the beginning, but I just want to use this as my concluding reason, reason number 31. When he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, he said, come to church more as you see the day approaching. Then verse 26 says, for or because. This is why you should not forsake coming to church, because if we sin willfully. Do you understand the connection that the apostle just made? He said, when you quit coming to church, you are committing a willful sin. This is not a sin of ignorance. This is not a sin by accident. This is a presumptuous sin. It is a willful all my Pentecost shouters a while ago. What happened? Uh, did, did, the fire, did the fire go out? What, what, what happened? What happened? Reason number 31 is I come to church because it keeps me from committing a willful sin. Yes, sir. Well, hallelujah. I don't want to do that. I want God to be pleased with me. I want Him to be pleased with everything that I'm doing. I want him to put his favor upon my life. And I'm going to tell you, coming to church is going to help to bring that favor. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands to the Lord, everybody, right now. Let's talk to the Lord together.